occasionally even, that it's very easy to hear the Word of God, right? It's very easy to hear, but it is really hard to put it in practice, right? Let's all just, let's just admit it, right? It's easy to hear, but it is hard put, to put this book into practice, isn't it? This is difficult to do, isn't it? This is, this is hard stuff. But, but um, what I read to you last week that uh, Andy Stanley said when he summed up that, those verses from Matthew chapter 7, for which I have a slide, um, and that is uh, uh, Andy Stanley's uh, slide number one is, uh, it, it is in, go ahead, Jason. <laughs> I, said, I don't know what was going on back there. There's a lot of chatter. chatter. Uh, Andy Stanley so beautifully, I think, summed up that verse in Matthew chapter 7. He said, hearing and doing are what makes the difference. It is both. You have to hear, but you also have to do. You have to put into practice. And I think that's the whole point of Jesus talking at the end of the, of the Sermon on the Mount is, is that, yeah, it, a lot of people could hear. A lot of people could listen. A lot of key, people could hear the words. But it's not just listening that makes the difference. It's putting it into practice as well. One of the things that we talked about last week is it's, it seems it's very easy to, to hear something, and it's very easy to come to church and, and even kind of feel emotion about what we hear and what we sing and what we do. It's very easy to, to kind of be convicted and feel like, you know, we need to be in the Word every day and that sort of thing. And sometimes the hearing feels like we've done something. Sometimes the emotion feels like we've done something. Sometimes the, the, just the feeling of conviction makes it feel like you've done something. But if you've not put it into practice... It doesn't matter. It, it, it didn't buy you anything. There's no credit. There's no partial credit. You either hear and receive and put it into practice, or there's no credit, right? There, there's no, there's no uh, partial credit for, for what we're doing here, uh, which is what I think the, the point of, the, of uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is that you've got to put this stuff into practice. And then let me, let me say one other thing. It's not like there are people who are doing this all the time in every area of their lives. No one is doing this effectively in every area of their lives, right? No one is effectively taking everything that they've learned from the Word of God, everything that they've learned from the Scriptures, and applying 100% of it. No one's there, right? I'm not there. I've still got a long, long ways to go. You too? But listen... The point is not really, I, I said practice makes perfect, and I really wrestled with the title more than I do usually, because really we're not getting to perfection, but what I want, the point that I want to get to is the practice. The point I want to get to is this practice where when I hear something that I know I'm not doing, when I hear something that I know I am doing, to move beyond just hearing, to move beyond conviction, and to move to the point where I say, Lord, I want my life to be obedient to what you've told me, right? Not just to hear not just receive, not just feel convicted, not just to feel emotional, but to put into practice the Word of God. And you guys are great. We, you know, we did this. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here in just a moment about areas of our lives that, that we've all learned, that, that there is a real, you know, there's a godly way to live. There's a way that you can live by the Scriptures and put it into practice, and it makes all the difference in the world in your life. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But in James chapter 1, James, what an interesting book, what an interesting story. Um, in the, 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 the writer of the book, book of James here is um, the, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. This was uh, Mary and Joseph's son, um, who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. You remember the Lord Jesus, we believe, was the son of, of Mary and of God the Father, right? Um, and, so, um, and so he was, James was the half-brother of Jesus. What happened in all throughout the gospel accounts, it's really pretty, pretty fascinating, but all throughout the gospel accounts, 
uh, James and his brothers and Mary don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He, matter of fact, there are times that he's going off teaching and preaching, and his mother and his brothers go to collect him to bring him back home and say, Jesus, you know, this really isn't, you know, you got this kind of ministry going and you're, you're teaching and preaching all over, but, you know, come on back home. Come, come back home. And they don't believe in him, Right? Well, Jesus appears to James after his resurrection, and, and we don't know when it happened, but at some point, James becomes a believer because we know from the book of Acts and some of Paul's letters and, and uh, some of his going back and forth that James became the leader in the church of Jerusalem. He became the, the lead elder, the head elder, as it were, in the church of Jerusalem. So he came to believe in his, uh, in his brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wrote his own letter um, to, uh, to the Jews that were scattered, uh, probably by the, the scattering of the Jews, um, one of the many diasporas, they call them the scattering of the Jews after the stoning of Stephen, and all the hardship broke out in, in Jerusalem against the, uh, against the Jews. So he was writing to, to a group of the Jews who had become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ themselves. So if you have your Bible with you, in James chapter 1, James is going to give us a beautiful illustration um, about what it is uh, to, to put the Word of God in effect in your life, and about how silly we are, about how ridiculous it is when we hear the Word of God, but do nothing. And he's going to use just really a brilliant illustration. So if you have your Bible with you, beginning in James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word. Sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said, didn't it? doesn't it? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. All right, now we're going to, let's pause there for just a minute. We're going to take these just kind of verse by verse. So the very first thing he says is, is, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Let's talk about that just a moment. Is there something about hearing the word of God and just hearing the word of God and doing nothing with it that's deceptive? What is it? What is it, that's, what is it that, that hearing the word of God and not doing something that's deceptive? What is it? We're going to have a lot of this kind of time today, so uh, this will be a good time for you to warm up. What is it about sitting and hearing the word of God and doing nothing that's deceptive? The more deceived you are, that you're fulfilling it. Yeah. I think the I think a great idea. That's perfect, exactly, Jamie. I think I think this has you know I think about the an illustration of of repentance is right is that I'm going the wrong direction and God calls me to stop and turn around and leave this wrong direction, this sin or this wrong direction in my life where I'm going my own way without the Lord and turning and going the other way. Um, what happens sometimes I think in the deception is is that. We've, we're going the wrong way, and God stops us, and he calls, and he says, no, you're going the wrong direction. This is not my desire for you. This is not what I want in your life, and you stop. But you've never turned. You never, you never changed direction. You never implemented anything in your life to turn around. And I think that's part of the deception um, is what we're hearing, talking about is that, you know, um, I, we've canceled people. We've had, we have people come to the church all the time that, man, their lives are just a mess. You know, that there's nothing righteous about any way that they're living, financially, uh, um, uh, sexually. Actually, um, in their relationships, however, uh, you know, in their marriage relationships, in their, in their parenting relationship, there's just everything's wrong. But oftentimes these people have been in church enough where, where I like to call it, they're, they're inoculated against change, you know. They, they've been hearing for so long and not changing anything for so long that it's like uh, they're just headed the wrong path and they know what they should be doing, but they're not doing it. And there's, there's some degree that if, if you continue in that road, that there's a hardening of your heart, 
There's a difficulty in being able to hear anymore or change anymore, and there's a real danger there. And, and let me set my hair on fire here for just a moment. Listen to what I'm saying. There's a danger in listening and not doing anything to change. It's deceptive. It will deceive you. It will make you think that you're making uh, progress and you're not going anywhere. Listen, and, and, and here's the other part. All of us have this problem. All of us have this difficulty in our lives where, where there are areas in my life and there are areas in your life that, that we know what the Lord's called us to and we've been putting it off. It's inconvenient or it's uncomfortable or I'm not ready for that or whatever. But listen, the, the, what, what James is telling us here is this is deceptive. This is, this is a dangerous place to be, to be living and a dangerous place to be caught. So be careful when you're hearing and hearing and hearing and doing nothing. You're in a deceptive place. You're being deceived. It makes you feel like you're doing something and going somewhere, and you're going nowhere. So verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. Let's pause there for just a minute. So how perfect this would have been, you know, how perfect this was for uh, first century readers, how much more perfect for us, right? How much more perfect in our culture does this illustration apply to us? What he's saying is it's like, it's like you get up in the morning and, you, you know, what's one of the first things any of us does is that we look in the mirror and we see to see what? What, what do I need to fix, right? You get up in the morning, right, and you're, on one side, your hair's laying down. On the other side, something's standing up. You know, men, your, your face, you need some attention on your whiskers. You know, if you're growing whiskers, you at least got to get an edge. You know, at least has to look like it's not just something growing out of your face, even though that's kind of what it is. Um, and for ladies, right, so you get up and, and you tend to, you know, you do something with your eyes, you do something with your cheeks, whatever, you do something with your hair. But all of us look in the mirror and we what? Do something, Right? We, we all look in the mirror and we do something with the, with the way we look. We don't look in the mirror and say, eh, well, good enough, and then go to school or work, right? None of us says, well, yes, I see that my hair is out of place. I see that I need to have shaved. I see that my teeth are a little dingy. Now I'm going to work, right? No, you would never do that, right? You would look in the mirror and what would you do? You would do something about what you see. True? True? Every one of us. Now, here's the, here's the thing that makes... Here's, the, here's James' whole point about the insanity of it all. He says, none of us would, do any, would leave our house without fixing our appearance, right? And I don't know about you. You know, I'm a little older. And, well, you know, I, and I, I, I said that a little bad tonight. There are some people who don't change. There are some people who, who look in the mirror and their hair's sticking up on one side and their teeth are dingy and, uh, and, and their clothes are disheveled or whatever. And we call those middle school age boys, Right? Everyone else, though, does something about what they see in the mirror, correct? Everyone else does, but not those guys for some reason. Um, but for the rest of us, we do something about what they see. Now, here's the crazy thing. Here's the thing I think that James is getting to. You and I would not leave our house without doing something about our appearance. You and I would look in the mirror to see what needs to be fixed. What do I need to change here before I go out and, and other people lay their eyeballs on me, right? I, I'm going to do something to fix my appearance. Well, what James is saying is, how much we would do for our parents. What are you doing on the inside? What are you doing to address the inside? So, so he talks about, he says that, that basically the word of God is like a mirror and we look in it and then we see what? What needs to change in our lives? 
And he says the person who looks in the Word of God or hears the Word of God or listens to sermons online or whatever or comes to church and, or whatever or comes to youth or whatever and hears the Word of God and then closes the book and does nothing is like that man who gets up, does nothing to fix himself and goes out in public. But here's, here's the even greater impact. You, you and I will spend how much time on the outside? How many hours, and even if you're a man, you're spending hours a week, right, or an hour a week probably looking in the mirror and fixing and dressing and bathing and showering and shaving or whatever, makeuping, whatever yourself, and we'll spend hours on the outside. But what are you doing when you see something that needs to be changed on the inside? How much time are we spending? Listen, I said this a little bit last week, but your greatest regret in your life, the time that you could look back to and say, if I could take one thing out of my life, if I could take one mistake out of my life, it's because you weren't changing or you weren't being obedient in an area of your life that you knew you needed to, right? But you did nothing with the inside. Let me just say, this is part of sinful human nature. This is the part of us that's rebellious against God. This is the part of us that God says, I'm calling you and I'm showing you that you need to change this area of your lives, but in utter rebellion or disregard for what's going on in our own hearts or our own habits or our own attitudes, we push back and say, no, I'm not there yet. Listen, this is a problem we all have. We'll spend more time on the exterior than we will on dealing with the interior, which is far more important. True? Let me, uh, let, me, let me give you just a, well, I'm sorry. Let me, let's continue. Let's read the next verse here together, and then we'll, then we'll jump back in. And after he looks at himself, immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he, was, what he does. Let me, uh, let me pause there for just a minute because there's a seeming paradox in there, isn't there? He says, he who looks into the perfect law, that's a reference to what we have in the scriptures, he who looks into the perfect law, and then he says something very interesting, very uh, seemingly contradictory. He says, because the perfect law gives what? Freedom. Say it with me. Turn to your neighbor, tell him. The perfect law gives what? Freedom. That's right. The perfect law gives freedom. Here's the thing. When you and I were young, we looked at all the things that were in the scriptures and it seemed like there was a bunch of don'ts in here, right? It seemed like there was a bunch of no's in here. It seemed like there was a bunch of things that talked about us about the things that we're not supposed to do with our behavior. Is that freedom? It doesn't feel like it when you're immature in, in your Christian faith, but as you, can, as you grow up, you begin to realize there is freedom, right? We talked a little bit last week about finances, so you tell me, the, the person who's learned that all the stuff that he has it actually belongs to God and not to him, that, that we're just stewards of what we receive, is there freedom in that? The man who realizes that, that the Bible teaches that we're first to be generous with our money, f- like first fruits, like first tithe, like that, those kinds of things that we're supposed to be generous with, with our money, is there freedom in that? The, the idea that we're supposed to save, right, right out of the Proverbs, it says, man, the ant saves, you people ought to save. Is there freedom in that? If we give and save and live on the rest, is there freedom there? If, if you and I are willing to take the, the teaching of the, of, the, of the gospel, the teaching of the, of the word of God, and apply it in our lives when it comes to our finances, is there freedom? 
How about this? Let me give you the alternative. The alternative is this. The alternative is the way that the rest of our society lives, and that is this. I'm going to spend everything I want on me, and then I'm going to go into debt to spend more. Right? That's the American way right now, right? That's our society right now. I'm going to spend every, every dime I earn. I'm going to spend every dollar, and then I'm going to go into debt so I can buy more for myself. Is that freedom? Now listen, that's where the shackles are, right? Freedom is, this isn't mine. Freedom is, I'm just a steward. Freedom is, I need to be generous with this stuff. I need to own it. It doesn't need to own me, right? If you apply the Word of God to your finances, you're going to find there's freedom there. You apply this for years, you're going to find independence financially. It's going to happen uh, just for almost all of us. God will certainly cause us to go through times where, where things will be tight, certainly. But if you will year after year after year apply God's principles and God's standards for our finances and how we're supposed to hold on to them and let them go, uh, there's freedom in that. Amen? Let me ask you. Let me ask you in terms of your body. What is the word? What is God? What is especially Paul? What does Paul teach about our bodies? What are we supposed to do with our bodies? Is, uh, yeah, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so we're supposed to honor God with our bodies. We're supposed to rec- recognize that, and that we ourselves were bought with our price. And so oftentimes, as a matter of fact, one of the very few times in the Bible you, you'll hear the words, this is the will of God in your life, right? Everyone's looking in the word of God um, for their lives. Um, this is the will of God in your life, that you abstain from what? Don't be afraid to say it. Sexual immorality that you abstain from sexual immorality, right? So, so a society who's godless, a society who doesn't understand, looks at that and says, that's not freedom, that's shackles. That's telling me I can't be with who I want to be with. It says I can't do what I want to do. It says all of this, but the Word of God says, no, you want freedom? Abstain from sexual immorality. Honor God with your relationships. Honor God with your body, and there's freedom in that. So the opposite of that is, I'm going to be who with I, with, I'm going to do what I want, with whom I want, when I want, and I'm not going to listen to the morality of the Scriptures. Is that freedom? No, ultimately we know that those are actually shackles, aren't they? I mean, when you're young, it seems like that's freedom, but in the end, it's actually shackles. How about your eyes, gentlemen? What does is, what is, what is David write? He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I might not see against sin against God. How about that, men? How about that? Is that restricting you from doing what you want? Is that restricting you from what you want to see? No, but ultimately, is the sin of lust that shackles you and binds you. But in the perfect law of God, you honor God with your eyes, and there's freedom in that. Amen? Listen, we could go on and on. I could, I could talk to you about marriage. I could talk to you about parenting. I could talk to you about all these things that we need to do to follow the Word of God in our lives and ultimately that, that it leads to freedom, more freedom. Um, but you all know it's true because you've been proving it in your lives just like I have for, uh, for the last, I don't know, however long I've been a believer, almost 30 years, I guess. Um, but, uh, but all of us have this, this uh, areas in our lives that we've progressed very well. Well, listen, here's the point, is that as far along as you are in, say, your finances, you need to be that far along. You need to move forward and get that far along in your relationships, right? You need to, let's talk about, let's talk about forgiveness now. So in, in the world, right, so if someone hurts me, if someone wounds me, if, if, someone, uh, if, if someone I have that, that, that owes, then I, 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 we call it basically a debting relationship, right? They owe me. It's like they, I have a, they have a debt that I'm holding, right? 
And so in the world, what would you do? Outside of Christianity, it's like, well, you hold a what? You hold a grudge against them. And you don't let them off the hook because you feel like you're punishing them, right? If I don't forgive you, if I'm holding unforgiveness, then I'm punishing you for what you did against me, what, how you sinned against me. But Jesus said, and, and boy, Jesus taught about forgiveness just incredibly powerfully, didn't he? He said, forgive as you have been forgiven. And so what happened with your debt with God? He canceled it, right? He, he wrote it like it was paid in full for us. And so he says, he says, don't hold a grudge. Don't hold someone in unforgiveness. Don't hold that because in the end, that unforgiveness is what will shackle you. Freedom is in forgiveness. That if when you actually let them off the hook, you're actually letting you off the hook, right? And we know what unforgiveness is. Anyone around anyone who's just, just venomous all the time? Are you around anyone? Maybe it's in your own household. Maybe it's your own father or, or mother. Maybe it's someone at your work. But it just seems like you're spewing and you're, you're getting venom on you that actually belongs to someone else. You know what? You, you let unforgiveness go long enough and it will turn into resentment and it will turn to bitterness and it will turn into venom. And you and I are around people like this all the time, right? Who, who that, that unforgiveness has kind of twisted its way into their lives and now all they have in their hearts is anger toward everyone. Is there freedom in that? No. Listen, freedom is found in forgiveness. Yeah. Um. There really is freedom in the, in the law of God. There really is freedom in find, following his, his teaching, God's teaching about finances, about relationships. So, so I, you know, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if, you, um, if you're in a place where, you need to, where the Lord's been speaking to you and, and talking to you about honoring him with your body, about honoring him with your relationships, a, a dating relationship, about honoring him with your, with your eyes, with what you've been looking at, with what you've been seeing. I don't know if it's, uh, if it's about investing more time with your kids. I don't know if it's about, uh, about the, um, the environment of your home, about feeling convicted that, that you need to bring peace into your home and not anger and not frustration. Um, I don't know if it's about spending more time in, in your marriage or, or honoring your husband or, or, or loving your wife, but, but whatever it is, um, you know, we all know what the Lord calls us to, and, and you've been hearing what he has for you. I, I think God is very, he's very patient with us, but, but, you know, and he loves us so much that, that he accepts us where we are, but he loves us so much he's not going to let us stay there, right? We've all heard that before, but it's so true, isn't it? He, he loves us so much, he, he calls us and he says, you need to lay this down. You need to stop pushing back on me when I, when I call on you to become obedient in this area of your life. I think that's the lesson here from James and from Matthew, is that um, what you don't realize here is that where you're in is deception, and what you're in is binding to you. It's, it's a shackle for you until you make a decision that you're going to let go and you're going to move on and, and put into practice what the Lord God calls you to. Amen? Amen. Let's do this. Uh, Tim, can, do you have something that you could play for us this morning? I want to give you another, another time this morning. I, I know I've hit this the last two weeks, but I want to give you the opportunity this morning because, listen, the, the, honest, fact, the honest, honest fact is, is that there are parts in our lives that we may be walking in obedience fairly well, right? So maybe financially you're walking very well. But when it comes to your relationship with your children or when it comes to your 
relationship with your parents or when it comes to a relationship where you need to show forgiveness, you've not been walking in obedience. Listen, uh, it's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a deceptive place to be that, that when you hear it and you feel convicted that you've done something. But listen, where you're going, there are shackles. Where you're going, there are, it's binding to you. And there's freedom when you lay it down and say, Lord, I'm going to not just hear, I'm going to receive, and I'm going to put into practice what you're calling me to do. That's hard. Listen, if there's some part of your life that you've been struggling with this for years, it's hard to do. It may be scary. It, 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 may, be, it may be frightening to you. It may be something that you, you're having a hard time forgiving. It may be, you know, a source of anxiety with your finances that you're afraid if you let God have it that he's going to take it all. Listen, that can be really hard to let go of. But listen, he calls us really out of shackles and into freedom. Amen? It's hard, his desire. So let's, let's, let's take just a moment here. Uh, we only have a few minutes, but let's just take just a few moments. Go ahead, Tim. And I want to give you the opportunity right now where you're sitting to offer that up to the Lord and say, Lord, I've heard what you've said, and I've been putting you off. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you that, that you would find the courage to let go of what you've been holding on to, whether that's a grudge or that, whether that's control over your own finances or whether... Um, whether that's your time uh, with, uh, you've been selfish with your time instead of giving it to your, your, uh, your marriage or your children. I want to pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, this is our sinful nature. This is it right here. This is where the battle is won or lost in, in walking in greater obedience with you. So, Father, I want to pray for those who are struggling this morning um, with giving you control over their finances. I want to pray for those this morning who are struggling to, uh, to forgive. I want to pray for those this morning, Lord God, who are walking in disobedience right now, maybe even this morning, when it comes to honoring you with their, with their bodies, with their eyes. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would bring about not just conviction, but change. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active in us and, and help us to do that what, what we could never do on our own, is to walk away from sin and walk away from disobedience and walk in perfect harmony with your calling in our lives, Lord God. Lord, we need that kind of help. Lord, we can't we can't do this on our own. We need your help, and we need to, the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us to overcome our weak and sinful flesh, Lord God. I pray this morning that we would walk in greater obedience, and ultimately, Lord God, that we would find in the end that there's freedom there, that you've desired for us all along. In the great name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Listen, I pray for you guys this week. I pray that whatever it is, and if this has been a struggle maybe for you for years to walk in obedience with, I, listen, the Lord plans and his desire for you is freedom and to walk in blessing. Do you remember how that, that, verse, that verse ended is, blessed is man who, who hears and does. We are blessed when we try and we work and, and we walk with the Lord day after day and we ask him, Lord, help me put into practice what I've learned from you. Help me to not just hear, but Lord, help me live it out in my life. Help it become true in my heart and my life. Amen? Amen. Listen, y'all have a great week. Thanks for being here this week.